Good morning, everyone. It is lovely to see you. Um, he wants to do something different this morning. Awesome. Good. I want you to be really brave. If you have anything this morning where you are unwell, you're feeling sore, I'm not going to ask you to share what it is, but I just want you to put your hand up. If you've got anything in your body that needs healing, and we are going to pray this morning for God to bring healing to this church. Does that sound good? Cool. Okay. Does that sound good? Let's do it. All right. People have got hands in the air. We're not going to need to ask them what it is because Jesus already knows. Okay. You're going to stretch your hand out towards them. Stretch your hand out towards them. And we're just going to say, in Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name, be healed. Every single one of them. Father, I thank you are in the room this morning. You are a loving God who cares immensely about each and every one of us. And I pray that as we meet this morning, we would not only meet each other, but we would meet the King of heaven. Amen? And everybody responds to that in Jesus' name. Come on. All right. We're going to have a good morning. Let me get a stand so I can actually have some notes. Oh, okay. I love worshiping together. Do you know, when I was young, I used to think heaven would be really boring because we'd just sing all the time. And I was like, oh man, what am I going to do with myself? Um, as I've got older, the, the, the debt of gratitude in my heart towards God has, has just increased and increased and increased and increased and increased. You know, when you start to walk a journey with God and when you start to really see him beside you, really recognize not only the now, but in the past years, even before you knew him, but how actually he was walking beside you every step of the way. Doesn't it build something in your heart? Doesn't it build something in you when you recognize, oh, he was with me through that. Oh, he got me to the other side of that. Oh, he's protected me through that, guided me through that. And as it builds that debt of gratitude, oh, doesn't it just build that desire, that, that oh, the, the peace and the joy that comes when you just get to sit together and worship God. Isn't it beautiful? The good thing is in heaven, we get to see God face to face. And in that place, in that place, <laughs> even if you don't feel that debt of gratitude, just seeing him, how glorious he is, will make you go wild with praise. We're going to see, whatever, 40,000, 60,000 socially distanced football fans at the end of the day, <laughs> praising their football team. And let me tell you, if you think Harry Kane is impressive, which he is to a degree, when you see Jesus, wow, okay, it's going to be wild. Who's excited for heaven? Okay, so I was going to name my talk. We're doing great journeys. I was thinking of calling this one coming home, but I, I didn't. Do you know why? Because... Yeah, to be honest, I actually care more about what I'm preaching on. So, <laughs> so welcome, 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 welcome. Um, <laughs> this morning, this morning, um, the title of the talk is The Way of the Wilderness. I'm going to be talking about a journey of King David. Um, the whole reason and point behind it is this morning, I want to excite you for the grace of God. I want to excite you with it to the point that though you're going to want to walk out these doors and run to him to give yourself to him over and over again, to come before him and say, God, hey, I haven't got it all together. I'm not perfect and I need you. And you are going to receive something at the heart of God, which just brings you to peace and ease. Who's ever experienced brokenness in their life? Brokenness, yeah? Okay, I'm going to put two hands up because I have. Maybe, maybe in your family's life, someone in your family, someone you care about. Maybe in your community, maybe your neighbor. Maybe, I don't know, someone at work who's experienced brokenness to some degree. Come on, let's get these hands up again. 
It's good. Get that stretch going on. Yeah? Okay. This is for you. Okay? Because the grace of God is, is, is the perfect antidote to brokenness, to the brokenness of humanity. And the Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Do you know there's something about brokenness and weakness which attracts God to people? Because when we recognize we need a savior, is when we really meet our savior. So let me read our passage. So I'm going to read 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 13 to 30. It's 17 verses. It's a lot of Bible, and that's really, really good. Okay? 2 Samuel 15, 13 to 30. It's about David fleeing Jerusalem. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Absalom is his son. And David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, and all 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, what a name, Ittai the Gittite, <laughs> why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also in exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us, since I have no, I, since I go not, <laughs> since I, since I go, I not know where, okay? He didn't know where he was going, basically. Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai, the Gittite, answered the king. He said, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, whatever, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for life or death, there also shall your servant be. Gosh, I'm struggling with this, aren't I? And David said to Ittai, the Gittite, go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. And Abiathar came up and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites. They're all like the priests, the people who um, work in the temple. And bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God. And the ark is like the center place of worship, okay? Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. This is, this is an important one. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. It's meant to be a sad story, okay? 
Now, if, if you were reading this week's Bible readings, we've got like a Bible reading plan. If you're reading them with us, this is going to make a lot of sense. And if you weren't, don't worry, because I'm going to give you a quick catch up. But can I encourage you, all of our sermons on Sundays are kind of following the readings we're doing throughout the week. So if you want more context, uh, do your readings. So most of us know King David, right? Yeah? Everyone's heard it? Yeah? Okay, good. So he was anointed as a bear-killing shepherd boy. He slayed a giant to save his people. He wrote like a hundred songs on his guitar. He's like Justin Bieber and the Karate Kid all rolled into one, okay? Like in his day, he was that guy. Who, who remembers that person in school? The guy or the girl who got everything right, yeah? With like the egg and spoon race and won everything. Who was that guy or girl in school? No, not me either. <laughs> Didn't happen. Um, I knew that guy. I was slightly jealous of him. Um, but this wasn't just like a random genetic lottery. David loved God and God blessed David. He was made king in Judah by the time he was 30. And by the age of 37, he had defeated the remainder of Saul's house. So that was the king before him. Uh, and he was anointed king over all of Israel at 37. And from there, he brought the Ark of God. So remember, the Ark of God is like the place of worship. It's the place of worship for the whole of Judah. So he brought worship into the capital city, into Jerusalem. And then he proceeded to conquer the rest of Israel. And so in doing so, David possessed the promise uh, given to Abraham, the boundaries given to Abraham, the land that was finally possessed by David at this point. So he's, he's literally, he's done it. He's made it. He's 37. Well, he's probably about 39 by that point. He is at the mountaintop moment. Okay. He has a great God. He's got a great kingdom that he's finally conquered all of it. He's got great friends. The, the, the ark is in Jerusalem. It is perfect. Who's ever had like a mountaintop moment where you're like, yeah, okay, this is good. Anyone? Yeah, it's good. You're allowed to have those moments. Okay. We have enough other moments that we're allowed to have those moments. Where we're like, oh, okay. So David was at his mountaintop moment. But then we fast forward another 31 years and that's the story we're at today where he's at the lowest of the low, he's walking up a mountain, weeping with his friends, cast out of his city, unwanted by his kingdom, usurped by his own son. What went wrong? What happened? Honestly, my, my, my impression of it is David forgot it was God. David forgot that all of that was God. David forgot it was God who enabled a boy to be a bear. He, he forgot that it was God who enabled him to defeat a giant. It was God who gave him favor in the kingdom. God who scattered his enemies. God who anointed him to be king. It was all God. And I think David just took his eyes off that. You see, in all these victories that David had in his early life, straight after we see him praise, He's like, yeah, God, you did it. You did it. You did it. You, you slayed the bear or the lion, the, the giant. He's like, God, you did it. And he praised God. He praised God in every blessing that came his way. And we see this in Revelation. Uh, uh, we're talking at the end of the Bible, this uh, all about the worship of the elders. The elders are given these crowns, right? And what did they do with their crowns? They laid them at Jesus' feet. Every time they receive blessing, they give blessing straight back to Jesus. You know, the safest place for any place, for anything with which God has blessed you is to give it right back into his hands. It came from him, put it right back into his hands. Enjoy it, but enjoy it in his hands. What does Job say? You know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of God. At some point, David lost sight of worshiping God and began to believe his own hype. 
In losing sight of God, and this is really important, in losing sight of God, he lost sight of himself. He lost sight of who he was because he lost sight of who God was. And as he did that, instead of being the worshipping warrior king, he becomes the stay-at-home, self-indulgent monarch. And we all love David. I love David. Please hear that. I'm not beating down on David, but something went really, really wrong. And God gives us his word for us to see and to understand. In 2 Samuel 11, at the beginning of our readings this week, instead of leading his army to battle, David stays at home and forces one of his commander's wives to sleep with him. She falls pregnant, so he tries to cover it up. And that doesn't work, so he then has her husband killed so she can become his wife. What happens is God convicts David through the prophet Nathan, and David repents. He's forgiven, but Nathan warns him that the consequences of such behavior is that his son would die and his family would turn against him. And sure enough, his son died after seven days. See, this moral failure that came right after the high point of his life, it rocked David. It opened a door to brokenness in his life and in the life of his children. And this reminds me of God's warning to Cain in Genesis 4. Just before Cain, Cain and Abel, right? Cain kills his own brother Abel. It's the first murder in the Bible and it says this. God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In that position, David needed to remind himself of God and his commands, you know, to worship God. And, and David needed to rediscover who he was after the mistake he had made. But unfortunately, he doesn't. And it just goes from bad to worse. If we fast forward about 10 years to 2 Samuel 13, suddenly David's firstborn uh, and heir, Amnon, fancies his half-sister Tamar, which obviously is not okay, and it wasn't okay back then either. And following David's example, Amnon forces Tamar to sleep with him. The Bible says that David was very angry. Who can you, can you imagine David being angry, right? That's his son and his daughter. David is livid. He's so angry. What does he do? Does anyone remember from the story? Nothing. David, David does nothing. See, sin is no longer crouching by the door. Sin has opened the door and welcomed itself into David's family. And the great warrior king, the man anointed by God, does nothing. I'm going to say it one more time. David does nothing. Doesn't it shock you? Doesn't it make you angry? What happened to our great, like, hero king, the man we all look up to? What happened to him to end up in this place? This innocent girl ruined. There's no justice. See, these stories in the Bible, I want to encourage you today, they're not here just for our entertainment. They're here to teach us something. They're here for us to, to learn from it. They're here to move our hearts. Every single part of scripture is useful. It's God breathed and it's here to move us. To cause us to yearn for freedom from the cycle of sin and brokenness in generation after generation. But you know, I know I can get angry and annoyed by someone driving 10 miles per hour. But can I get angry and annoyed at sin? Can I get angry at sin and its results in my life? Sin and its results in, in, the, in my family? Sin and its results in our communities? Can we get angry about that? The answer is yes, we can. We see Jesus doing it. 
The thing is, we know there's an answer, right? We know that there's, there's freedom from this curse. See, Tamar's brother, Absalom, another of David's sons, he, he takes matters into his own hands. David's done nothing. So what does Absalom do? He festers for two whole years before planning a feast. And in the midst of this feast, he gets his servants to murder his brother, Amnon. And this time, David's reduced to weeping. Another sin of David's past wreaking havoc now in his own family. Absalom flees, but after three years, David, desperate not to lose another son, ends up inviting him home. At first, David keeps Absalom at arm's length. But after another two years, he's forgiven. And as soon as he is, Absalom now starts to plot David's demise. He steals the hearts of the people and he heads to Hebron, the very same place that David was first crowned king of Judah. And he has one of David's uh, chief advisors come and crown Absalom as the new king. Doesn't it make you angry? Doesn't it just stick a little bit? What happened? David's family was broken by sin and the effect of sin in his own life. So this is where our story catches up today. What does David do? He gathers his family, those loyal to him, and he retreats to the wilderness. You know, this is the great warrior king. They used to sing songs. David has slayed 10,000. This great warrior king, and yet he's fleeing his own city. He's not even picking up a fight. He has men with him. He's not even bothering fighting. He's broken. Absolutely broken. He is exhausted and sin has won. But this is not just a story for the past. Sorry, I know that's quite a hard-hitting thing, but this isn't just a story for the past. You know, I was reading the news this week about a president who was shot dead in his home, his own home. About two women in London killed in a demonic sacrifice. About war-torn Ethiopia with over 400,000 people starving. The effects of sin are still detestable today. They're still there today, and it's something that should grate on us. Why? Because actually we know there's another way. We know there's a freedom from it. We still have, you know, even looking at Jersey, nice, safe Jersey, which we're all very thankful to be living in. You know, we still have poverty, broken families, Drug and alcohol abuse, manipulation, corruption, suffering and injustice. You know, even in my own life, do you know what? I started to see that oak can not only replicate my strengths, but also my weaknesses. Oak's my son, by the way. He learns from me, not just the good stuff, but the bad stuff. Because you suddenly like, oh, need to watch out. <laughs> and you know that thing that your parents used to do that you swore you would never do? Well... <laughs> It's these cycles, right? The cycles of sin, the cycles of brokenness, and we all experience them. You know, none of us are sitting here perfect. None of us are sitting here, you know, everything's right in our families, everything's right in our communities. Actually, we all can see brokenness if it's not in our own lives, at least in the people around us. And actually, I said this about four times, it should make us angry. Because we know there is an answer to it. Amen? We know there's another way. Oh, Paul writes this in Romans 7. It kind of sums this up. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want 
is what I keep on doing. So I find it to be a law when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He finishes by saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's ever felt like that? It's like, come on, please. Like, I know what I want to do, but I just... <sighs> so all help is lost then. You know, humanity is destined for brokenness after brokenness. David ascends the hill, weeping for himself, weeping for his family, weeping for his kingdom, feeling powerless and hopeless. He says, uh, he says here, but if God says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let God do what seems good to him. It's a place of absolute surrender and brokenness, isn't it? Okay. It's going to start to get a little bit better, guys. Don't worry. This place of surrender and brokenness, this is the place that Jesus meets us. This brokenness was the state and the fate of humanity, the inevitable destination of every single one of us, past, present, future. But God. Oh, I was so waiting to get to that point. Can everyone say, but God with me? But God. <laughs> you see, this was no ordinary mount. This was the Mount of Olives that David was walking up, a hill covered in olive trees to the east of Jerusalem. And it's a reflection of Christ in David's journey. For if we fast forward a thousand years, the royal line of David is broken. The kingdom of Jerusalem is broken. The Jews are turning on their own, suffering and injustice are rampant. Jesus, from the line of David, walks that same road to the Mount of Olives. Not weeping for himself, but for his people. He was every bit sinless, yet ready to become sin on our behalf. Who, like, who's excited by that? Jesus. <laughs> like David, he entrusted his fate to God, but this wasn't out of a broken hopelessness that we see with David, but instead it was a humble obedience. Let me read to you from 1 Peter. This is about Jesus. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. It says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Is that good news? He himself, Jesus himself, in his body bore our sins so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He took upon himself not just the sins of man, but the brokenness of humanity, all heaped up upon him on that cross that we might have freedom to live free from the curse and to experience life. Friends, we have freedom today from sin and from the brokenness it causes. Can I get like an amen or an hallelujah or something? Come on, is that good? We've got freedom from it. That thing you did in the past that you're like, oh, it ruined my life. It didn't. And it doesn't have to because you have freedom from it. It no longer has to chase you down. It no longer has to impact your kids and your family and everything like that because you have freedom through the cross and the grace of Christ. Brokenness has met its match in Jesus and it has been overcome. And this is the power of the gospel today. This is why this story is relevant today because with him, sin can no longer crouch at the door because grace has overwhelmed it. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, right? Actually, even when we mess up, when we sin, we don't have to deal with brokenness. Instead, we can go to the cross of Christ and receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Does that sound good? We're no longer bound to it. 
We have the opportunity today that David did not have to fall upon the grace of Christ, to receive his forgiveness, to see the brokenness of sin have no place in our lives or in our families or in our communities. This is what we have. I got um, three tools, like three just points I want you to take away today. Don't worry, that wasn't just the introduction. <laughs> I got three things I want to put with you today. <laughs> so that we do not reap the brokenness that we see in David's life, but we reap the abundant life promised by God. Oh, just before you think I'm beating down on David. God said David was a man after his own heart. He didn't say that at the beginning or when he was in his zenith. God said that at the end, right? David was a man after God's own heart, even through the brokenness. That should be an encouragement to us all, yeah? So my three things, repent, receive, reconcile. Yeah, alliteration. Let's do, let's do it with me. Repent, receive, reconcile. Awesome. Mike got those fingers up as well. Nice work, Mike. All right, repent. It's never too late to turn back to God. It's never too late. Aren't we glad for that again? It's never too late to admit your mistake, to turn around. See, David had Nathan literally to rub his face in it before he realized and there's a key there for us all. You know, listen to the community God has put around you. Listen to the people in your life, especially your spouse. <laughs> oh, she wasn't here, luckily. Um, <laughs> it is a healthy act of daily humility to ask God to forgive your sins. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. You know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's a daily act of godly humility to ask God to forgive your sins and for strength to do better tomorrow. And that with every blessing that God gives us, we will commit it straight back into his hands for his glory. Daily repentance. It's such a good habit to get, guys. So we repent. What's the second one? Come on, you just said it. All right, receive. Good work. I truly believe, and this is really key, I truly believe David's inability to receive God's forgiveness. He knew he was forgiven. God said he was forgiven, but his inability to receive that forgiveness wreaked havoc in his family. I believe that, that that guilt he still carried silenced him in the face of sin in his family. It's, it, he was angry, but he didn't do anything about what Amnon did. And he weeped, but he didn't really do anything to Absalom. I really feel he was, he was kind of bound and constricted by his guilt. And that's why we must receive God's forgiveness and his love. The answer to sin is not fear or control. That's how we end up doing what our parents did, you know, the thing that we said we wouldn't do. The answer to sin is grace and forgiveness. You know, look at the Apostle Paul in the Bible. He spent his youth murdering the Christians. That man should never have even set foot in a church, let alone become a leader of the early church, right? That is the grace. Nothing else can do that. That is the grace of God, right? Now, if Paul, broken and, and living in guilt of what he'd done in his past, had allowed that to define his future decisions, what would have happened to our Bible, right? Instead, he received forgiveness. And he wasn't like a shy, humble guy. Like, he was bold about it. He received that grace. God's grace was sufficient for him. And therefore, he went on with the ministry God had given him. Don't let your past sins define your future blessings, your future promises, and what God's called you to. 
See, I see people tolerating brokenness in their lives because they've yet to believe they're forgiven, yet to realize they're actually free from the chains that once held them captive to sin. I love the Helsa song. You know, they sing, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. And friends, this is really important. And I want to challenge all of you here today, myself included. Is there any place in our lives where we have heard God has forgiven us, but actually in our heart, we still hold ourselves captive from that sin? In our heart, we still like, oh, okay, well, I deserve that. We kind of, we allow the brokenness to continue. Do we allow that cycle to continue? Or are we truly receiving God's forgiveness and God's love and living free from fear and from guilt and from shame? Think about it. Psalm 183, Jesus has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. He has washed you white in the snow. Psalm 51 and 2 Corinthians 5 says, The Father sees not your sin, but Jesus' righteousness. Who's thankful for that? <laughs> when God looks at us, he doesn't see the brokenness. He sees Christ's righteousness. This is the power of the cross. That anything and everything you have done in your past can be wiped clean through the grace of Jesus. Because when he said, it is finished, friends, it is finished. Now long, we no longer regard anyone by the flesh. For in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, this is the one for today. Please receive God's forgiveness. My last point, reconcile. There you go. I don't have to butcher the verse because it's here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God, in, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us and entrust against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Through Christ, God reconciled himself to mankind. That means instead of us being enemies, we are friends. I am a friend of God. Why don't you say that to a neighbor? I'm a friend of God. <laughs> and now he's given us that ministry. He's given us this good news that we can share this with the people around us. Actually, you can be a friend of God. This is for us, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our family. You can be a friend of God. And this is so important. The same ministry and power with which Christ reconciled us to God is now ours to call people to be reconciled to God. And this is the power of free people walking in the love of God. We can break cycles of brokenness, not only in our lives, not only in our families, but in the world around us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is good news. That is really, really, really good news. And people need to hear it. I always think of my parents in this. You know, my, my parents both grew up in quite dysfunctional families. Um, <laughs> really dysfunctional families. Really, really real. Really dysfunctional families, okay? And, um, and they, uh, I kind of, oh, they met. They met through school. Anyway, we'll leave that. But um, yeah, so my mum went to university. My mum got saved. Uh, 
uh, at university. And um, they just went on this journey of being healed from all those cycles of brokenness in their families. They had five kids. We were on 13 grandchildren. And, and, and we are all serving the Lord, the whole family. And they never knew God, right? And they came from brokenness. But God did a healing work in them and every cycle of like brokenness from their parents. Guess what? It is not coming through to us and it's certainly not going through to our children. You know, we recognize them. We deal with them. We do not let brokenness that, that was there, the brokenness of the world, come through to our families, come through to our children. Again, I'm not saying we're perfect by any means, but actually the cycle of brokenness and sin, no. It's not coming through. Five children, 13 grandchildren. This is what God can do in a family. This is what God can do. Oh, and you know, uh, the lady at university who shared Jesus with my mum, who I am like immeasurably grateful to. Like so, honestly, guys, like that lady shared Jesus with my mum and I stand here today in love of God because she was willing to share the gospel. Guess what? She's from Jersey. She's like you or me to sharing Jesus with her friend. And then this is the result. Five children, 13 grandchildren, loving God. Can we just give God some praise, right? We love you, Jesus. Friends, let me excite you that you have the ability to see cycles of brokenness broken in people's lives by sharing God's truth with them. Romans 8 says this, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Put your hands up if that's you. Sons and daughters of God, okay. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subject to futility, subject to brokenness, subject to sin, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope, listen, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Friends, creation, our communities, our families are waiting for us to share the freedom that Christ has given us. For us to really live in ourselves, to really forgive, receive God's forgiveness ourselves and then give that away, to share that. You are children of God and your family, your community are waiting with eager longing to see the freedom of God revealed in you to see sin and brokenness that it causes melt away in your life and that the light of the glorious grace of Christ would be theirs to see and theirs to receive. And this is the gospel of reconciliation. Repent, receive, reconcile. Friends, David has much to teach us. God's word as much to teach us in this morning. I just, I got two things I just really want to focus on. There's people here today who, when I started talking about, like, you kind of, you feel powerless to cycles of sin and brokenness. I need to encourage you this morning to receive God's grace. You don't have to accept it. Not his grace, you do have to accept it. <laughs> you do not have to accept sin or brokenness in your life, nor in your family. It is not your just desserts. It is not what you've sown because the grace of Christ releases us from that. If we truly ask, we truly repent, we truly forgive, 